Barry, what do we need to do on a memory script? That That'll be Sunday morning. Yeah, Sunday morning. So they got John 3.16. So y'all should be able to get that one for Sunday morning if you're here for Sunday school. Yeah. Jeremy wrote me a note for y'all. I thought it was Matthew. That was a week before. All right. Yeah. We'll talk about that at the end. But right now we're going to get into Luke 9. So, all right. So what is something, just kind of a question to get us started tonight. Uh, something that you use, think about this for a minute, you use that makes your life easier. Let me think of something. Oh, calculator. Microwave. Microwave. Air conditioning. Shoes. Air conditioning. Right. Shoes. Someone on this side. Clothes. Oh, my bed. Calendar. Calendar. Shoes. Your bed. Football. Football. All right, all right. God. All right. All right, so, all right, so bring it in, bring it in for a minute. All right, so there's a lot of things that you use every single day, you and I use, right? That, that make our lives easier, that make our lives more simple, that make things convenient for us, all right? You're, you're a generation, uh, you're growing up, you don't have to wait really on anything. Uh, now, I know we live in a more rural community, so we don't live in a, in a city so much where if you have like DoorDash or something like that where you can order food and have it in a few minutes, but uh, things are pretty quick. Instant gratification is something that we're used to. Uh, you know, you get on your phone. You look something up, you know, that's the thing. You have had a phone in your, your hand or your pocket pretty much your entire life. So if there's a question you have, what do you do? Or you're debating something or you have like an argument. No, you're not right. Well, let me look it up. And then you go to what? Google. Google, Google it. Or you ask Siri or somebody, right? All right. So there's a lot of things that we have that make our lives easier. Uh, things that make things quick to where we don't have to wait. To where we can try and find something as soon as possible. And, and the point of tonight is, is, I want you to think about this, is many Christians... As we look at Scripture, many people, many people that claim to be followers of Jesus, and maybe you're one of them, that they want their Christianity to be that way too. Hey, I want my Christianity to be convenient for me, simple, easy. I don't really have any kind of buying. I want it to be as easy and simple and convenient as possible. You know, a lot of Christians, that's how they want their Christianity to be. But that's not the command, that's not the call that we see in the Word of God from Jesus. Now, uh, there was a study they did over the last few years on Christians uh, and they got to really digging in to say, hey, how many Christians in America are legit? How many Christians could we actually call committed followers of Jesus Christ? Uh, meaning their, their faith impacts their everyday life. Meaning it's more than just something they do on Sunday mornings or on a Wednesday night. It's something that affects their lives Monday through Saturday, every single moment of every single day. Uh, and as they studied Christians in America, they roughly found that only about 20% of Christians could be considered committed. So uh, four out of five people. So, that, you know, there's about 30 of y'all in here tonight or so. So you might say about 25 uh, out of 30 would be, you know, that would be about an 80% clip. I'm not a great math person, so don't hate me for that. But say maybe five out of the 30 would be considered committed if you took some stats on that. Many Christians are more committed to other things than being committed to the cause and the calling and what Jesus Christ has commanded to them. More committed to temporary things. You know, maybe it's you're so all in for academics. Your biggest concern is, man, I just want to be an A student. I want to have that 4.0. Maybe it's sports teams, whether it's following a sports team you like and you're all in on that, or the sports you play. You just want to be a great athlete. Or it's hunting or fishing, fill in the blank with anything, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. They, they are more committed to that than to the person that they claim with their lips is their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want us to look at how we have a tendency to put our excuses, how much like these people here in Luke 9 do, that we put our excuses in the way of going all in for Jesus. We say, hey Jesus, I'm all, 
I'll follow you. I'll, I'll, I'll trust you, Jesus, but let me do this. I, I'll trust in you, Jesus, but this part of my life is mine. But here's the reality, y'all. Here this time. When Jesus says to us, follow me, it's a call to immediate surrender and immediate obedience. Absolute surrender of everything. He's not looking for good intentions. He's not looking for good plans. He's wanting obedience. And obedience, simply put, is to do what he says to do. So in Luke 9, there's three people that Jesus approaches. So uh, in the Gospels, you know, Jesus has started his public ministry here. He's going along. He's called some disciples. And here in Luke 9, we see him approach three different people. Actually, one of them approaches him. And we see a few different responses, and we're kind of work through that tonight. So Luke 9, verses 57 through 62. This is at the end of the chapter. And it says this in the Word of God. It says, As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. Lord, he said, First let me go bury my father. But he told him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So this is kind of a hard pill to swallow in Scripture. Uh, Jesus says some very difficult things here in these five verses in Scripture. And there's a few points I want you all to take tonight. Now, I don't have note sheets for you. You may have a notebook and you may just want to make some mental notes or whatever. But a few things that we see from these three people as we kind of progress through these verses. So the first person... When he comes to Jesus, he has this. He has the wrong expectations of Jesus. His expectations are messed up. And that's the guy that's in verses 57 and 58. Start that way. It says, they were traveling on the road. Someone said to him, saying to Jesus, hey, I will follow you wherever you go. But then in verse 58, Jesus says this. He says, foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So this first person, he comes to Jesus, and he thinks he's signing up for the easy life. He thinks life is going to be simpler, life is going to be good. You see, Jesus' reputation, Jesus' fame at this point in his ministry, he kind of grew. Because what had Jesus been going around doing up to this point? Anybody want to guess? So he starts his ministry. What was Jesus doing? He's spreading the word. He's spreading the word. He is talking about the kingdom of God, yes. But what else is he doing? He is calling disciples. But what was the thing that drew the crowds in? The miracles, right? You know, He's healing the blind. You know, he's causing crippled people to walk. He's doing all these miracles. So people are hearing about this guy named Jesus of Nazareth, this rabbi, this teacher. And this guy that comes to him here in verses 57 and 58, he's probably heard about this Jesus, this miracle-working rabbi. And he's saying, hey, I'm all in on this because this dude, he's going to have it big. He's got the following. He's got the crowd. Man, following him is going to be awesome. I'm going to have the greatest life. You know, everything's going to be all good. He's the one. But Jesus, whenever this guy comes to him, Jesus kind of says, hey, you got it wrong, kind of flips it the other way around on him. He says, hey, man, I don't even have a place to sleep tonight. I have no place to lay my head, no bed. And what Jesus is teaching us, and Jesus is teaching this guy here, is that we should never put our hope and never put our trust in earthly things. Not in temporary things that can go away. So how do you know that just based on that? Well, also in Scripture, Jesus says this, in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, he says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what Jesus is trying to get this guy to see and what he's trying to get us to see is the only thing, and hear me, the only thing, the only person that we can put our hope in that's going to span for all of eternity is him. The temporary pleasures, the temporary things of this life, as fun as they may be, they're going to fade away. The only thing that's going to last forever is Jesus. So let me ask you, and I want you to really look at yourself and ask yourself this. What is your dependence upon tonight? Or maybe better put, who is your dependence in? Are you depending in temporary things of the world? Are you depending in people? Are you depending in popularity, your friends, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your status? How good of a student you are? How good of an athlete you are? How cool you are? All those things are temporary. And this first guy here in Luke chapter 9 comes to Jesus with the expectation that he's going to be on easy street for the rest of his life. You know, comfort, money, all these things, right? He's like, Jesus like, nope, that's not what it's about. You can follow me, but we ain't got a place to stay tonight. And in doing all of this, Jesus is trying to teach us something. And what he's teaching us is, like I said, not to put our hope in temporary things, and that this world is not our home. You might have heard that in church. You might have heard that as a Christian, that, hey, this world is not our home. But so often, we live like it is. We live like we're going to spend the rest of eternity on this planet and we store up so much treasure on this earth that we don't even think about the life to come. We don't even think about eternity to come. You see, our time on earth is so, so short compared to eternity. And, and you see, I, I, sometimes we get so enamored. We're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. I know you are. We all are guilty of this where we get so caught up in the temporary. But the Bible talks about that man, after this life, after this earth comes something else, comes eternity. And I know I've used this illustration before, but it's literally the best illustration I have for really getting this point across. So I'm going to step right here out the door, and I've got a little something. So, y'all see this rope? Now, I know some of y'all have seen me do this before. But just imagine with me for a minute. Y'all see the duct tape on the end of the rope? Everybody can see that? Now, just imagine with me that this rope is a timeline of your existence. This piece of duct tape is your time on this earth. Like, I mean, the thing is, is like that's such a short time compared to all of eternity. And many of you, you are consumed with this little piece of duct tape. You're like, man, in middle school, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. High school, I'm going to get the girl, and I'm going to have the riz like nobody else, and all the ladies are going to want me, man. And then you're thinking, when I go to college, I'll get this degree. And you're thinking about that, and you're like, man, when I get out of college, I'll have this job and this kind of house. I know it's kind of funny to say it, but think about it. You can be so consumed with this little piece when you got all of this to come. And it goes, just imagine, it goes on forever and ever. So where are you putting your treasure at? Are you trying to get treasure here on earth above everything else? You just say, man, I want this little piece to be the best I can have. And the reality is we should be storing up for ourselves eternity. Treasure that will never fade. Treasure that will never go away. So what are you putting your hope in tonight? What are you putting your dependence in tonight? See, this guy here in Luke 9 at the beginning, he was thinking, man, this life, I'm going to have it comfy. I'm going to have it big. I'm going to have it good. But Jesus is telling him, hey, this life, 
It's a blip. The book of James puts it this way in Scripture. It says that your life is but a vapor. You see a vapor. It's here and it's gone immediately. So he had the wrong expectations. And the second guy in the passage, he had mixed up priorities. His priorities were mixed up. And that's in verse 59 and 60. Then he, and this is Jesus, Jesus says to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. You see, this man wanted to follow Jesus. But he first he wants to go bury his father. And let's be just real for a minute. Let's be real. When you first read that, if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, really? Can't you just let him go have a funeral for his dad that just died, Jesus? I mean, really, can't he just do that? It seems like a legitimate reason if there ever was one, right? But you have to understand that what's going on here, it's not so much about this funeral or anything like that. It's just an excuse. An excuse given by this guy for not obeying. For not obeying Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is teaching this guy, because everything Jesus does in Scripture, his words, his actions, everything, he's trying to teach and to show. You see, that's what he was doing with his disciples. His disciples were learners. That's what disciple means. He was a learner of Jesus. And everything he's doing, he's trying to teach this guy here something as well. And everything he's teaching them, we should learn from it as well. And what he's teaching them is that you can't be divided. You can't be 50% in on Jesus. You can't be 75% or even 99% in on Jesus. Jesus wants all. He wants 100%, all chips on the table, submission and surrender to him alone. And sadly, many want to choose the opposite. They want to choose the path of least resistance, least commitment. Jesus says, no, that's not how it works in my kingdom. It's an all or nothing deal, guys. You know, people give excuse after excuse after excuse. You know, say, hey, well, I, I want to get serious about my faith. Or, yeah, hey... I'm going to get serious about studying the Word of God this year and spending time with Him, but I kind of got this going on. But I got all this other stuff. Or I'll start living on mission and living for Jesus with my, with my friends and share my faith, but you know, I, I got other things that I really kind of focus on, really things that I'm really more consumed with, things that I'm more committed to. And you see, when Jesus calls us to follow Him, guys, He's calling us to immediate obedience. I know obedience isn't a word that we like to hear a lot anymore, but it's at the core of the gospel. See, a big part of it is whenever we are saved by Jesus, it should should create an obedient heart within us where we choose to obey Him. But delayed obedience, and hear this, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Y'all heard me say that before. You know, well, hey, I'll follow you, Jesus, I'll do that, but first let me do my own thing. That's not how it works. And when Jesus invites us to follow Him, it's immediate obedience he's calling for us. So what step of Jesus might he may, what step of obedience might Jesus be calling you to tonight? Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, but right now. If you know Jesus Christ, you see, here's the thing we gotta understand. If you are in Christ, if you've trusted in him for salvation, you might be able to remember the day, you might be remembering the month, the hour, the place you got saved. That's all great and well. You might have it wrote down in your Bible. That's all cool as well. But are you walking in obedience towards Jesus Christ? Because the result of our salvation is obedience. It's seeking to say, hey, I'm not who I once was. The Bible puts it this way. You're a new creation. So you should be walking and striving to become more like Jesus. 
and it's immediate. Where you become becoming and growing like him. And so often, we just kind of put it to the side. Say, I'll, I'll do it when I got time for it. I'll really be obedient to the Lord and what he says for me to do when I have time for it. And many of you, and this is me just getting on my soapbox for a minute. Many of you are so apathetic about your faith, it's, it's crazy to me. So we can go apathetic. Well, you just kind of have this lack of concern, lack of interest in really being intentional about your faith. You see, we might go to a camp or a retreat or something, or maybe on a Wednesday you say, you say, hey, I want to do this. I know I should do this. Uh, you know, you say all the things that me and Maria and our adult leaders want to hear. Hey, I want to get serious about reading Scripture. I want to get serious about learning the Word of God. I want to get serious about living for Christ at school. But then, you know, next thing you know, I ain't got time for that. I'm too consumed with other things. You're just like, next thing you know, you're like, ah, that Jesus stuff, I, I just really don't care. I'll say the right answers when I'm around the adults or I'm around my parents. But as far as walking in obedience daily, you're just like, I am not going to do that. I'm going to do my thing, and whenever I really feel, you know, like I should, I might get around to the Jesus thing. And you're more consumed with the world than you are with Christ. You say, man, I, I just want to be popular. I want to be well-known. I want people to like me. I want to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I just want to get through this. All these different things that are pulling at you. And you might say, yeah, I, I, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really following Jesus that closely. But that's at the core of what Jesus calls us to, y'all. Jesus isn't interested in just half-heartedness. He's not interested in Christians that are just going to be like, yeah, I'm a Christian on Sunday and Wednesday. Jesus is looking for disciples. He's looking for people that are going to follow and obey Him. Now, are we going to get it right all the time? No, we're going to mess up. But is your heart's desire to know Jesus more and to walk in obedience towards Him? I want you to ask yourself that question tonight. Are you just saying those things to me? Or are you saying these things to your parents where you say, hey, I'm just going to fool them, but really in my deepest heart, I don't really care. Jesus is looking for obedience. He's looking for people that are all in. So the final thing we see here, we'll kind of finish up here in a minute, from this third person is that he had misdirected focus. His focus was off. I'll finish up with this, verses 61 and 62. It says, Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I do know this. When you're plowing a field now, especially back in these days, you know, they didn't have John Deere tractors. They plowed with, you know, horses and mules and things of that nature. But when you're plowing, you're looking ahead. You're looking at what's in front of you. You're not worried about what's behind or to the side as they were plowing the fields. And as Jesus uses this illustration, he's saying, hey, you don't need to be looking about what's behind, what's in the past, or looking side to side. We look to where he's leading us. Put your hand to the plow. If you're following after him, looking to him. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 puts it this way. He says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. And putting that, like You're following after him. You're striving after him. What's your focus on? You're saying your focus is you've got tunnel vision on Jesus. And here in verse 62, Jesus says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And what he's saying here is he's having a callback 
to the Old Testament, to the book of 1 Kings, where there's a story. And you've got to understand a little bit about biblical times. You see, Jesus is talking to Jewish people. They would understand the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And when he says, hand to the plow and looking back, they would have understood this story from 1 Kings 19 about Elijah and Elisha. Now, what happens is Elijah is this prophet, and he comes to this other guy, Elisha, and basically calls him to be his new follower, his new disciple. You see, the book of 1 Kings 19, verses 19 through 21, tells the story. I'll read it right quick just so we can get back through this. But it says, Elijah left there and went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, and he was plowing. Just pay attention to that. He's plowing. Twelve teams of oxen were in front of him. He was with the twelve teams. Elijah walked by him and threw his mantle over him. Elisha left the oxen, ran to follow Elijah, and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. Go on back, he replied. What have I done to you? So he turned back from following him, took the team of oxen, slaughtered them with the oxen's wooden yoke and plow, cooked the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he left and followed Elijah and served him. So all these similarities. See, these people would have understood this. So what was he doing? Elijah here. Or rather, Elisha. He was doing what? Plowing. All right? Plowing. What does Jesus say? Anyone who puts his hand to the the plow. All right? Both passages use the same term of follow. Jesus says, follow me. He says in here in Elijah, he says, I will follow you. And in both encounters between Elijah and Elisha and this guy that's coming to Jesus, they basically ask the same question. Hey, can I go say goodbye to those in my house? Can I go say goodbye to my family? But what's the big difference? Elijah, he's like, hey, Elisha, yeah. Go say goodbye. Y'all go have a big cookout, and then you can come along. But Jesus says what? No. No, no, no. It's all or nothing. Once you decide to follow me, you must do it immediately. You've got to be all in. You might still be wondering, but why? Why can't you just, Jesus, why can't you just let this guy go back, say goodbye to his folks, and then come along? And sometimes what it is, and this may be the thing for you, I don't know. Sometimes people in your life, sometimes family members can hinder you from all that Jesus has for you. Maybe you say, man, I know God's calling me to do some things, but maybe you got family members that are like, ah, oh, you ain't got to be that committed. Nah, you ain't got to do that. You ain't got to go all in for Jesus. You haven't got to actually walk in obedience. And maybe it's not family members, it's a friend. Maybe you got influences in your life that you're really, really close to. And when you start talking about the Jesus thing, they're like, dude, just be quiet. You ain't got to do all that mess. The people that are closest to you might hold you back. Why is this important? Because Jesus says that if we're all in for him, we got to love them less. So like, what? Love them less? Jesus uses some pretty strong language in the book of Luke chapter 14. He says, if anyone comes to me, does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, let me clarify here. Jesus is not saying that you have the right to hate your parents, okay? This isn't a hatred or an anger or a frustration towards them. What this simply means is to love them less than you love Jesus. You see, Jesus is saying, you are to put me above everything, a or a priority. He's to be superior to everything, our families, our friends, our loved ones. He's to be number one in our lives. You might hear that, but what does that really look like? You might have heard it in your whole life. Put God first. But is God really number one on the throne of your life? Or you just say it. Is he the thing that you're most consumed with? Is he the thing that you're most passionate about in this life? 
You say, man, I just want to know Jesus more. I want my friends to know Jesus more, so I'm going to live on mission for Jesus. Because I, I, I can't help but talk about Jesus because of what he's done for me. Does it really just like get down deep in your bones? That, man, I was this way, one, I was one way. I was lost. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't do nothing about it. And then Jesus came in. He changed me. He made me new. And I want everyone to know about that. Or do you just kind of keep Jesus tucked away? He must be number one. That's the only role he's accepting. He says, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking any other lesser way. You know, our camp pastor that we had at camp this summer, I've used this quote several times, but John Nix, he says this thing often when he preaches. He says, Christ is either your king or your condemnation. He is not an extracurricular activity. And my fear is that many of you treat him like he's an extracurricular activity. He's like, well, I got baseball or softball or I got history or beta club and then I got Jesus and then I got science. It's like, no, Jesus is at the top and everything else filters from that. You honor Jesus through science. You honor Jesus through softball. You honor Jesus through baseball or golf or whatever you're into. Saying, hey, how can I leverage what I do, leverage the things I love for the glory of God and for the glory of Jesus? So what's the excuse for you tonight? It's keeping you from being 100% all in for Christ today. Did you have the wrong expectation? You think being a Christian is something easy, comfortable, not too much commitment? Because that's not what Jesus calls us to in the Word of God. It's tough, but He's worth it. You see, you read, if you read the Gospels, and I encourage you to if you're not, get the Bible, read through the book of John. And in the book of John and Matthew, Mark, all these, these Gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where it talks about the life of Jesus, there's some tough things that He says. And one in particular story, Jesus says something tough to the crowds and they start to leave. And Jesus turns to the 12, his 12 disciples, his 12 closest ones, and he says, are you guys going to leave too? And I love what Peter says. Peter was always quick to speak. Peter said a lot of dumb things if you read the Bible. But one time, here in this particular instance, what Peter says is really good. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words to eternal life. It's like, hey, where am I going to go? You're the only way. Are you going to just say, well, I don't like that. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way to true salvation. He's the only way to true life. He's the only way to eternal life. He might call us to do some things that aren't going to be comfortable. Maybe you had the wrong expectation of that. Maybe your priorities have been mixed up. You're committed to the temporary of this life. You're more committed to the things that are going to only last like that little piece of duct tape on the rope, the things that are short and going to be really, really gone, gone really, really quick. And you haven't thought about eternity at all. You're thinking, man, I don't, I don't worry about that. I can do what I want to do. But Jesus is calling us to obedience. He's calling us to make him priority one. Where's your focus? What's your focus on tonight? The things that won't really matter? What are you consumed with? Have you thought about that? I don't know if y'all remember, if you went back to it in March, I know this has been probably five, almost six months ago, at Disciple Now, whenever we went out to Spring Bible, uh, Cameron Looper, the guy that spoke there, the first night, he said something. He said, what you think about most deeply is what you care about the most. So what do you dwell on? And what is the, the, the thing that gets you up in the morning? 
What's the thing you care about the most? The thing you love the most? The thing you're most passionate about? Is it Jesus Christ? Do you really truly love him? Or do you just tolerate him? I think a lot of us just tolerate him. We're like, well, I don't want to go to hell when I die, so I guess I ought to believe in this Jesus thing. But Jesus isn't just interested in that. He's wanting you to live for him now. He's wanting you to be all in for him today. For your focus to be on him and where you walk in obedience towards him. And I don't know what the thing is for you, but you do. And my challenge to you is to commit to following Christ daily, not just once. Because the Christian life, hear me, it's so much more than a one-time prayer. Well, tracking with me on that, Christian life is more than, hey, I got saved on, you know, March 23rd, 2014. You might have that down, or I'll just send a random day or whatever. It's so much more than, hey, I got baptized on this day. Those are good days to remember and reflect back on and celebrate, absolutely. But it's a daily commitment, a daily decision to follow after Jesus Christ and to submit and surrender to Him as Lord. Surrender every single day, not just once, every day to whatever He calls us to, whenever it is, however He's speaking. See, God's kingdom is advanced in this way because we're supposed to all be advancing the kingdom of God. We're all to be missionaries. Say, I'm not a missionary. I don't live in Africa. No, missionary right now. You're a missionary right now if you know Jesus. Right here where you are. In Ballard County, Kentucky. At the middle school, the high school, wherever you're at. So if you know Jesus, are you making him known? Are you walking in obedience and humility to him? And every morning, I'll kind of close with this. Every single morning, my encouragement to you is to do this. When your eyes open up, maybe they don't open up. Maybe you hit the snooze button seven times and you lay there and you just feel like, oh, I just want to go back to sleep. But as you begin each and every day, there's two things I want to encourage you to do if you know Christ. There needs to be a funeral and there needs to be a coronation service. What are you talking about? Well, the funeral is for you. Because the call to follow Christ is a call to die. It is daily to die to yourself. Jesus' command in Scripture is take up your cross and follow after me. That's not a cute little coffee cup saying. That's not a take up your cross, let me wear my cross necklace. As you're taking up your cross and following Jesus, is I'm dying to me and to myself, and I'm submitting my life to him. You know, Galatians 2.20 says that I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. So that funeral to begin the day. And then a coronation. You might know what a coronation service is, you might not. See, what a coronation service is, is when they crown a king or a queen, they have this big ceremony where the, the people of that kingdom bow at the feet of the king and they crown him. Are you crowning Jesus as king of your life each day where you're saying, you're king, Jesus, and I'm following you. I'm submitting in my Lord under you as king, in my king and my Lord. I'm following after you. We have to choose to do that every day. And if you're here tonight and you've never done that at all, you might be like, hey, I'm just kind of coming here to check it out. Y'all play some fun games, or my parents came, or my sibling brought me, or I'm just kind of here because I have to be. You see that Jesus that we're talking about that calls us to obedience, that Jesus, that all these tough things that he says, the, the radical thing, the awesome thing about all of this is that same Jesus, he came and lived this life, this sinless life for you, and he died upon a cross for you. Because you and I have committed things called sin. We've missed the mark. We deserve to be punished for our sin is what the Bible tells us. We're not perfect. 
The Bible says there's no one righteous, no, not one. And the thing is, in order to go into the kingdom of heaven, in order to know him, we have to be righteous. 100% righteous. It's like, well, I am righteous, so what, what, what point is there? Well, here's the thing. The gospel, the story of Jesus is we weren't righteous, but we can become righteous through him. Because he was righteous on our behalf. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts it this way. It says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And if you go all in, put all chips on the table, all in for Jesus Christ and say, I'm trusting in what Jesus Christ did for me. By him dying on a cross and shedding his blood for my sins and by him rising from the grave. The book of Romans says that if you confess with your mouth that and if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if that's something you say, I need that tonight, and come grab me or an adult or somebody you know here tonight, don't leave this place without getting that right tonight. But maybe for you, you say, hey, I know I'm a Christian. Are you walking in obedience? Are you just making excuses? I hope not. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of your word. here that maybe they've never done that for the first time. They've just been kind of going through the motions, coming to church. God, I pray that tonight would be the night they'd be forever changed. God, I pray for the person that's here tonight that they might know you. 